Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell, the author of the novel The Good Lieutenant. And I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, author of the novel Love Marriage. And today, even though the intro is the same, we're doing something new. As we told you last week, the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast is moving to a weekly format. And to do that... Because we're not bananas, or only partly bananas. <laughs> well, because, well, doing a podcast is bananas, in, at least partly. But at least to make sure that we don't die also while doing this, we're, you know, we're going to cover one topic over a couple of episodes. So last week, we talked about fiction and nonfiction book awards with Oscar Villalon and Susan Choi. And this week, we have the pleasure of hashing out the politics, business, and joy or terror. Oh, those, or, there's know. a little less terror for us, at least, because these are awards that we definitely have no chance to win. Right. As opposed to the fiction awards, which we also don't have any chance to win, or at least not so far. I'm speaking for myself, Sugi. I think you are. I think your next book is is definitely no, winning awards. I think that I think that as Susan and Oscar told us last week, that is not the way to think about your writing life. That's right. That's right. So okay. So for the fiction writers, for the distant and slightly foreign world of poetry book awards, we're going to talk with my friend Randall Mann. Randall's the author of Complaint in the Garden, which won the Kenyon Review Prize in Poetry. Breakfast with Tom Gunn, a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award and the California Book Award. Straight Razor, which was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award. Proprietary, a finalist for the Northern California Book Award and the Lambda Literary Award. He is also the book author of a book of criticism, The Illusion of Intimacy on Poetry, as well as co-author of the textbook Writing Poems. His most recent collection of poems, A Better Life, was published in 2021. And he is a former faculty member in UMKC's MFA program in creative writing, which I'm very proud of. Welcome to the show, Randall. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Sergey. It's great to be here. So the Penn and National Book Critics Circle Award finalists were announced recently. So we're talking book awards for this episode. But um, as we were just discussing, book awards work a little differently in poetry than they do in fiction. There are big national awards like Penn and NBCC and smaller independent contests where the award is that you get your book published. So I wonder if you can talk about the difference between these two categories of awards. Sure. Uh, so with the, the big awards like Penn and NBCC, it works the same way as in other genres. The book has been published and then it's under consideration for that year. Um, whereas the, uh, the book contest machine with poetry the award is the publication of the book. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of money, sometimes maybe a residency or a reading or something, but what you're really looking at is being awarded the opportunity to have a book in the world, which sounds a little crazy, but there's a whole, there's a whole ecosystem that uh, sort of poetry sort of feeds off of. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's, that's the main difference. I mean, that's what's always so weird to me about poetry, speaking as a fiction writer, because, you know, I send my manuscript to an agent and then he sends it to my editor or an editor and asks if they want to buy it. And then they decide to buy it or not, you know, and I, partly that has to do with, I think, making money. I mean, I, the, the idea would be that a book is supposed to, uh, a novel should they have a budget and you're going to make money. That's not necessarily going to happen with poetry. But I just wonder what kind of economy this creates for poetry that to get published, you basically have to win one of these contests. 
Me, largely. Sorry, you said things like money and uh, things like that in poetry. You got distracted. I was, sort of, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I don't... I'm, <laughs> like, I'm ending this interview I, right I, now. I, I, I don't understand those <laughs> words, Whitney, um, as a poet. So, so yeah, so I would say if you're... What you do get if you win one of these awards is attention. I mean, obviously you have the book, which is the big thing that you're wanting. But, you know, there's a little bit of shine that comes on it from winning these awards. I would think the problem is now that attention is just sort of more diffuse, you know, across all media, just in life in general. And I think what's kind of most troubling is that there's no guarantee that you're going to have a home. You know, they may, it just may be a one and done, which often happens uh, in poetry. And I think the economy really just kind of feeds on itself. I mean, the publisher needs the money, the poets need the publication, and you have this kind of uneasy alliance. And also, it can just really feel like you're just throwing all your precious work over the fence, and then who knows, you know? I don't think anyone likes it. I mean, even if you win the award, still it can really feel kind of degrading, the whole process. I mean, one of the things that's different is that for instance, I worked with the same editor for my first two books, and then he died, sadly, but I mean, I would have worked with him again, you know, and, and I, I, I hope to work with my current editor for as long as possible and to get some continuity there, and this creates, so you don't get to have the same editor over and over again. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, there are just no guarantees, period, but, uh, you know, this idea that one wants a home and really wants to build a relationship with a publisher, I mean, this is a lot more tenuous in poetry. Because one, it's just sort of like getting published is such a feat. I mean, it can, it can sort of feel like poetry is everywhere and nowhere. You know, it seems like there's so much poetry, especially right now, but actually getting the damn thing together bound and in a book form, I'm telling you, it's rough out there. <laughs> I mean, how many people yeah. apply for these contests? Aren't there like hundreds, if not thousands of people who are... It, it can be hundreds and hundreds. I mean, it depends on the contest. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert at this, but sometimes I'll get... And I've judged a couple and now I'll get the numbers. And sometimes you're approaching like a thousand people want, you know, looking for that spot. Sometimes, we're, you know, it's... It, but it's usually hundreds of people. And then you have screeners and there's that whole system of the screener having to like you know, bump it up to the, to the, to the final judge or to the press, et cetera, et cetera. So you have all these impediments, you know, to actually getting on the desk to the final judge. And so it's really, I mean, just poets are, it's a rough go to try and get your book published, especially if you're going through the contest route. And to your point, most people have to go through the contest route. So um, I just want to kind of read here for for the record, the Penn and NBCC mm -hmm. finalists in poetry for 2022. So for Penn, the finalists are Yellow Rain, poems by Mai Dervang, uh, Show by my colleague Douglas Kearney, Herd Horde by Atsuro O'Reilly, Frank, Sonnets by Diane Seuss, Mutiny by Philip B. Williams, and the NBC Poetry Award finalists are Sieve by B.K. Fisher, The Renunciations by Donica Kelly, Cutlish by Rajiv Mohabir, uh, The Reinhardt Frames by Chiswayo Mufanza, and Frank Sonnets by Diane, by Diane Seuss. So as we talked about with Susan and Oscar in our previous episode, there's been a lot of well-deserved criticism about the way how well major literary awards, the Pulitzer, the National Book Awards, National Book Critics Circle Awards, Penn Awards have represented diversity of writing and the diversity of the writing and reading public. 
I wonder how those finalists look to you, and, and are we seeing better and more representative slates of finalists in poetry? No, I, I like these. It, it's, it's pretty diverse, you know, and I also like that it's a lot of small, you know, university presses, too. I think that's, that's really heartening. Um, I think there's think a lot the, of work to do. Okay. Are those Sorry. prize winners, do you think? Like, is the University of Nebraska Press, do they have, like, a book prize? You, can you tell by looking at the press, like whether or not that person won a prize like we were talking about before. It's likely a prize because I know Nebraska does have a, a prize. But, but, you know, I, I honestly don't know with that one because they do publish uh, things independent of their prize. Could I'm sorry, I, I interrupted your train of thought. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> but, I mean, I was just saying that I think this is, this is, these are pretty good lists. I mean, I think that there's a lot of work to do. This is doing some of the work. But, you know, and I, I can't stress this enough. Much of the most exciting poetry is being written by women and writers of color and LGBTQI plus folks and the overlap therein. So representation is not an abstract idea. What it is, is the recognition, really the truly the seeing of good work. And I think that that's really important here. I mean, if you take the NBCC finalists and, and I mean, you have books that have gotten a lot of attention, deservedly so by your colleague, Douglas, Douglas Kearney. You have My Dear Vang. I mean, these are books that have gotten a lot of attention. I mean, if you're in poetry, you understand this. And I'm really heartened to see someone like Atsuro Radu, who's a Hapa poet like me, a queer Hapa poet, who's creating this sort of magical linguistic world to, you know, to speak about his own differences. And, to, and, and so it's, it's, it's kind of exciting to see that too. So, and you'll notice that the overlap here is Diane Seuss, Frank Sonnets. And if, if there is a book of the year for last year in poetry, it's Frank Sonnets. And so that sort of gives one hope that, that the people who are making these decisions are kind of seeing what's happening in American poetry. But representation is an idea. It's not just an idea. It's the recognition of what is happening and what is happening is a very broad fabric in American poetry, as it has always been. Can you just tell us about, I haven't read the book, Frank Sonnets. Um, so, and if that's the book that's on both lists, so you have it right there. So do. <laughs> what, what's great about it? Just, you know, talk to the audience a little bit about it for listeners who haven't read it. There is, I mean, in the title, there is this idea of uh, transparency and frankness. And Diane Seuss is, kind of an unusual poet in the way that she cuts to the quick of kind of the emotional truths of what she's talking about. It can feel extraordinarily personal, even though, of course, poetry is always this beautiful lie that's being told, but it feels like the truth. And the more it feels like the truth, the better the lie. And she has gotten sort of to, to that in this book. And I, and I think formally it's extraordinarily interesting because you have these sort of ungainly long lines where she is taking the sonnet and really torquing it and making it new, which is of course essential to the idea of poetry. So it's this extraordinarily personal or seemingly personal frank book of poetry that it's, it's one emotional truth after the other. And also she is working within these very classical constraint, constraints of the sonnet and doing it in a way that feels wildly contemporary. And, and it has really spoken to so many people. And it's honestly just a fantastic book. 
And so, so I'm really pleased to see that on both lists. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Randall Mann discussing literary awards in poetry. We're here with Randall Mann discussing book awards in poetry. And um, Randall, we were just talking a little bit about diversity representation and how it's not just an abstract idea. So I wanted to go back there a little bit. There's a real history of book awards suppressing diverse voices, though, as you were saying, maybe that's getting better. At the same time, you're a three-time finalist for the Lambda Literary Award, which honors LGBTQIA plus writers who are being ignored by mainstream awards. There are awards honoring certain regions, like California writers. There's a consortium of universities and libraries across Missouri, including UMKC, where Whitney teaches. Um, they founded the Maya Angelou Award, which supports writers whose work displays a commitment to social justice. So on balance, are poetry awards a positive or a negative in terms of highlighting diverse voices in the writing community? I mean, I, th- I think it's it, it's a mixed bag. I mean, and I do think that the balance is is tilting toward the positive. But, you know, again, I I think in poetry, you basically have to be clinically dead not to see that diverse writers over the past handful of years, and I think we're talking Ocean Vuong and Solmaz Sharif and Dennis Smith, Chen Chen, Monica Yoon, Joss Charles, so many others that I'm not able to name. They've really invigorated poetry and provided, I think really importantly, an entry point for uh, younger people interested in poetry. But like, let's take the Pulitzer, right? So yeah, it's notable and important from a diversity perspective that the last two Pulitzers have been won by Jericho Brown and Natalie Diaz. But also, they wrote game-changing revolutionary books, and it made complete sense. It, it honestly felt almost inevitable that they did. They wrote great books. They won big, big prizes. This is how it's supposed to work. Your new book, A Better Life, is dedicated to poets Michelle Boisseau and Kevin Killian. Michelle is a close friend of mine and a founder of our MFA program here at UMKC. She died in 2017, tragically. Um, You have a poem called Beginning and Ending with a Line by Michelle Boisseau in the book, which I think is terrific, and I wondered if you could just read it for us. Sure. Just as as an introduction, I wrote this poem. The form is sort of a line-based palindrome coming together to, uh, to ultimately be pulled apart, which, is, which in a sense is kind of like life. And, and a lot of it is centered around our last conversation where she was saying things that seemed uh, really poignant and profound. And so anyway, um, beginning and ending with a line by Michelle Boisseau. What kind of end of the world is this with no new poems from you? Night arrives too early in November. Clocks turn back, the light dims. We met in class in Tennessee. Nothing can be rewritten, but I remember how you gave me changes and I changed. You kept going for 20 years. I'm not fighting so much as absorbing, you said the last time we talked. I want to write, but the metaphors won't come. I don't have a way to even talk about this. I don't have a way to even talk about this. I want to write, 
but the metaphors won't come, you said the last time we talked. I'm not fighting so much as absorbing. You kept going. For 20 years, you gave me changes and I changed. Nothing can be rewritten, but I remember how we met in class in Tennessee. Clocks turn back, the light dims, night arrives too early in November with no new poems from you. What kind of end of the world is this? <laughs> that poem makes me very sad. I really miss Michelle. Yeah. And it's such a good poem. I, I really thank you for writing that about our friend. Thank you. You know, her first book, Understory, was a Penn USA finalist. But after that, though she won NEA awards in a Guggenheim, which was cool, um, none of her books were nominated for awards, at least not that I'm aware of. And she was also what I would call in the most loving way possible an, an impolitic person um, who <laughs> made zero <laughs> efforts to ingratiate herself with any, any sort of establishment figures in the poetry world that I know of. To what yeah, extent right. does politics <clears throat> reputate? I mean, because I feel like she, it's, I feel like she is a, a, an overlooked poet. And I think that Book Awards, as we were discussing mm -hmm. in our last episode with Susan Choi and Oscar um, uh, Villalon, uh, was, you know, Book Awards can do that. They can make somebody be noticed, but they can also prevent other people from being noticed, right, if you never win. Um, and I feel like Michelle fits into right. that category um, in, in a way that upsets me. But I wonder, so to what extent does politics, reputation, and real or perceived institutional power play a role in who gets to be selected for book awards? <laughs> I mean, probably a lot. Here's, of, here's the question I'm that guarantees sure you never win another award in your life, depending on how you answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, I'm only ever a finalist for anything, so, you know. Um, okay. So we'll just keep that. We'll just keep that going. You know, with Michelle, I'm, I'm pretty sure her, uh, I guess, uh, no-nonsense approach uh, didn't always win her friends, but it's part of what drew me to her. <laughs> um, you know, with her work, it's, it is a little bit of a mystery, like all these things. I was, I was pretty happy about her kind of late-breaking Guggenheim, but I did think in a better world because she got better as she got older as a writer, which is unusual. It doesn't always happen. You know, in a better world, she would have been shortlisted at the very least. You know, I don't really know much, but I, I do think that all these things do continue to have a lot to do with reciprocity and power. I do. I think, I, I think and it I matters, say, Randall, yeah, that you totally. aren't, I mean, I don't, you've always had a, an interesting career in the sense that you're not like associated with a university. You know, and I think that makes no. a difference. You know, I think being associated with a writing program gives people power and reputation. You have to forge a career outside of that. I wonder if you notice that or think about that. Oh, sure. I mean, it can feel very alienating not being part of sort of like the academic industrial complex, for sure. But it's also freeing, you know, because I don't, I mean, I don't have to rely on grants. I don't have to rely, you know, I mean, I'm kind of off doing my own thing, but you know, that's, that's the bet I've made as it were. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, look, I think right now it's sort of like the idea is that it's a less hierarchical time, but 
I do have friends who are at great academic institutions with influence and money, and they're the recipients, often deservedly, not always, of the great power of those ecosystems. You know, money and power are always the answer. Even in poetry, you know, it's always the answer. Even in poetry, when there's like maybe a especially in poetry because there's so little money and power. I mean, well, like we're we're the land of the three figure advance. So you know, I mean, but still, money and power is always the answer, as it always will be. Randall, since reciprocity has come up, it's been a long time since I've thought about this. Do you remember poetry? Oh my God! Yeah, totally. Can you, for <laughs> our listeners who might not know what that is and what it, can you maybe give us a little backgrounder on that? So let me see if I remember this all as well as I can, and maybe you're going to have to help me. But I think it was someone anonymous, right, who was putting out literary gossip and dish and kind of trying to tell on kind of all the nefarious shenanigans of the poetry world. Is that, does that sound right to you? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think, you know, I heard about it from my friends who were poets and that some of it was actually kind of tracking reciprocity of things like winners and who slept with whom, who was the, the judge, et cetera, you know, that kind of thing. I think that was maybe the most extreme reciproc- reciprocal uh, <laughs> example. I felt like it was, a, it was a tab I opened and then was like, I feel dirty, and I immediately closed it. It was... Well, put it know, in the show was, notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean... I mean, that was, like, you, if you talk about reciprocity, that was, that you know, that one was the, you know, the most extreme example. But yes, it was sort of... It was this kind of pre-social media form of gossip and entertainment for, you know, poets. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was a little, it was a little pitiful, but I mean, I had, the, I had the damn tab open too. Was so, it, you know. Was it, a, was it, a, I had never, I didn't know about this thing, but was it a discussion board or what, how was it like, if it was pre-social media, what, where did you access it? How did you get to it? I think it was a was it a it was website? a website it was or like a oh. Reddit it was, yeah it was a, it was a web yeah yeah it was maybe like mid two thousands because it must have been around the end of the time that I was in grad school and um you know my parents right. that I knew were talking about it and I was like what is this and I went and looked it up and was like I don't understand anything that's happening here but there's some sort of code being deciphered here for people who must feel like they're on the outside. And then, of course, right. I think it was also probably the home of like sort of spurious slash unsubstantiated sort of in the way that like the creative writing job wiki has on it a lot of reliable information and then also like some shenanigans. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just um, all of a sudden my memory was like, wait, I remember I remember talking about reciprocity in poets. And yeah, so poetry was a little bit of a byword there. And, and then I think like in this sort of. Twitter age as Twitter was after that. So I think that it maybe maybe took some of that space. Um, but yeah, it was I think it I think it was anonymous. Um, I mean, I guess. Yeah. And then I think maybe the the creator was uh, revealed at some point. But again, this yeah, this was maybe the mid zero zeros or something like that. So I. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah, but it was definitely a thing, you know. It was, it was a thing. Anyway, sorry to bring us back there, but I just um, no, 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 no. It was like a yeah. It was it was kind of a it was a different moment where people were sort of trying to explain 
what they thought were was the truth behind how power was allocated, which I think is is also some of what we're talking about with with awards. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You were talking a little bit about um, Diane. Maybe maybe it was Diane who's getting better, or no, maybe mm-hmm. it was Michelle getting better as she got Ms. as Michelle. she got older. Yeah. And uh, there's often a lot of pressure on you know not just for for poets and fiction writers and nonfictioners, kind of the debut, there's a lot of pressure on a poet's first book. And and many poets wait until they win a contest to publish a collection because otherwise they're worried that it'll disappear into the ether. And there are hardly any contests or prizes for those who want to publish a second collection. And, and that's usually done by the poet themselves. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experience publishing your first book and how many times you submitted to contests before you won and got published. Yeah, it's it it took a long time for me. So I mean, this was a completely different time. I I must have submitted my manuscript from about 98 to 2003. So it was over a number of years and kind of to be fair, those first couple of years it probably was a little half baked. So I'm 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 glad that it didn't get taken. But I did go through these contests and I did try and query publishers and it was tough, you know, it was, uh, it was a really tough road. I think by the, so it won this Kenyon Review Prize, and by the time it was taken, every single pub, poem had been published in a journal. Um, so I knew that I was sort of on the right track, but it was still completely dispiriting <laughs> to kind of put myself out there with all these contests. And then everyone was saying no. And then I remember it was maybe like 2002, 2003, and just had a little chat with myself. I was like, you are going to get up every morning and spend a, take a half an hour of your job's time and find a place and think, you know, I was like, I refused to, to give up, but it was, it was a challenge. And also, you know, I mean, I'm kind of, I kind of like I'm doing, or I'd like to think I'm doing like my own thing. Like I'm a queer sort of often formal writer who's like, you know, uh, very multiracial, but with like this very confusing kind of Germanic name. I mean, there's like none of it really tracks. It's, none of it's really helpful, honestly. <laughs> none of it was very helpful for me getting a book published. And so, you know, but somebody read, they saw me, they saw me. So it was, it was tough. But my publishing history, even after that, it was really tough. You know, I mean, because I didn't have a home. And then the press I was with when I won that prize, it folded. And so then I had to go out there and like shop the second book. And that was another nightmare. And so um, when you say nightmare, like specifically, like how many places do you ha- did you send to? Like, is it 50? Is it 100? Is it, you know, what's the process like numerically? I mean, I think I numerically. Well, yeah, I don't. Do you remember? Or did I mean, you block I that out? To, I, I think I said to anyone who would like bind a book together and that I wasn't going to be too embarrassed about, you know, I mean, it was sort of like, you know, it was one degree removed from Kinko's, you know, at some point. So, you know, I, I was, it was getting pretty, I mean, maybe it wasn't that desperate, but it was, Kinko's it was book really prize. tough. Randall Mann wins the Kinko's Kinko's book prize. prize. Yes. But I mean, it's, it was, it was just, I sent, I sent to everyone and then I sent to everyone for the second book too. And then the second book is even tougher because, well, then you aren't even the shiny new thing. You're just kind of like one person with one sad first book of poetry. And, oh, gosh, you know, so many people like that. And so, you know, I was really glad where I basically had, you know, Chicago said yes to my second book. But that was only after the, you know, I look back and it was really funny. Like, they said no. 
And I wrote back to the editor and I was like, no is not the answer that I need. And so like I took out the third section of the book and put in new poems because they took so freaking long. I was like, please work with this now. I was, I don't know where I got sort of uh, the gumption to do that. And then they eventually said yes, but I was like, oh my God, what is it gonna take? <laughs> I like that, so, that's an interesting, that. I have not advised my yes. students that if you get rejected, just write back and say, no, no. I reject your rejection. <laughs> I was like, that, that is not the answer that I need after you've taken so long. I don't know what I was thinking, but I mean, it worked. But that was, I was just like, I was laughing about that. I was telling that to someone the other day and they're like, what? <laughs> It's like, I don't know. <laughs> so going back to the fairness of awards and who usually gets asked to judge awards or these, these book contests in, in the poetry world? Have you ever been a judge? Uh, do you think there is an effort to have diverse judging panels for these contests? Do you know anything about that? I mean, yeah. So I've, I've judged two book contests um, one was for Cleveland State, and the other one was for Milkweed for the Jake Adam York Prize, which is actually one of few that's either a first or a second book prize. I do think that things are shifting. People are being trying to be a lot more thoughtful about the screeners and being really you know, diverse, sort of writ large about that, and then thinking more broadly about judging. I, you know, it used to be that kind of established writers, whatever that means, were the only ones judging. And you know, in many ways, the establishment's been upended. And that's great by media and kind of subversive, younger, more diverse writers. And so one is really seeing the fruits of that and that, you know, these poets with fewer books are judging prizes, which is good. You know, I, you know, the conventional gatekeeping that needs to go away anyway. So this is one more uh, example of that. And I think that this will undoubtedly bring in more voices. So, so I do think, again, this is, this is a process, but I do think that being, people are being more thoughtful about these things and asking younger and more diverse writers, because, you know, their perspective matters. I mean, you can't really say, okay, well, you know, these people are driving the conversation in American poetry, and then, oh, P.S., let's wait till they're 100 to ask them to judge. It's like, no. I mean, you, you, you want to get some of that energy, and, you know, now. So, so I think, I, I think it's great. I think it's great. I, I want to add in, I, I don't know, Sugi, I'd be interested to know what you think about this too. Like, I, I agree that, you know, this is important to make sure that these panels are diverse in terms of race and, and all kinds of, you know, identity ish, you know, which is an important part of how we need to think about the work that's being done. I also think about geography though, because like I am on the, I, I'm a white guy, so whatever, but you know, I'm also the only Midwesterner on the New York Public Library's reading committee, you know, and and I find that and everyone else is is New York based. And, and that makes I think there should be more Midwesterners on, you know, on these uh, or more people from the south or people from California. I don't know. You know, I mean, do you think about that ge geographic sort of spread at all? I guess in poetry, like, you know, some of the pro prizes are, are set in like Chicago. So I guess, you know, they're not all New York centric in the way that a lot of fiction book awards are. I think it's a better conversation the, the, the more broadly we think about diversity and, and the more deeply we try and understand what that means and how it ultimately adds to the conversation. 
I, you know, again, and sort of to my earlier points, it's not just about an, an idea in the abstract. It's really about if you don't get voices to the table, you know, all kinds of different voices, then you're just leaving money on the table. In other words, you know, I mean, you're just really not getting a full perspective and you're not getting the full picture of what's happening in literature. And we want we want the full picture. We don't want to just be like, oh, I checked X number of boxes. You want to have an understanding of the fabric of poetry, whether it's geography, whether it's ability, you know, racial diversity, gender, you know, all these things. It's all important. And it's not just important because it's supposed to be important. It's important because this is who we are. You know, it's sort of like in my other world, I work in biotechnology and you know, we look at sometimes the boards of companies and if those boards do not represent the people who are working for them, then that's a flag. That's a flag because you want you want to see people, you know, basically showing their value with actions and with representation. And so, again, it's these are not abstract ideas. They they're they're really taking us closer to uh really understanding uh, what literature is right now. And so, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Vinny. I think that we should think incredibly broadly about what diversity means and not just throw the abstraction at the wall and enjoy how pretty it looks up there. So we'd like to end by foregoing book awards entirely and talking about your excellent new collection, A Better Life. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit to us about how that book came together and if you would also read the title poem for us. Sure thing. Um, so if I had to describe this book, I guess it's really about kind of betweenness in a way. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's about being middle-aged, I guess, but also being multiracial in ways that don't always declare themselves, like see my sort of German name. Um, it's also living between kind of growing up in the AIDS crisis and living now in this kind of pharmaceutical New Jerusalem. Um, it's just a baffling. It feels baffling. It feels confusing. And in this book and, and sort of in my newer work too, I really wanted to kind of lean into, and I use this word really carefully, but the trauma of growing up associating death, which is HIV and AIDS, with living, with living queerly, you know. I listened to that uh, interview that you had with Paul Lisicki and he talked about being death haunted. And I think that that is, even though I'm about 10 years younger, it's deeply unsettling to grow up thinking that, you know, who you are is going to be your demise, like full stop. And so I really have been thinking about this more and I'm trying to write through this idea a little bit. So, so this is the title poem. This is after Julio Cortazar, A Better Life. It's silly to think 14 years ago, I turned 30. How I made it that far, I'll never know. In this City of hills, if there was a hill, I was over it. Then, in queer years, 
years are more than. Soon it will be fifteen since the day I turned thirty. It's so remote. I didn't think I'd make it to fourteen years ago. Fear lives in the chest like results. You say, my gray, it makes me look extinguished. You make me cringe. I haven't cracked the spines of certain paperbacks or learned a sense of direction, even with a slick device. But the spleen doesn't ask twice, and soon it will be 15 years since I turned 30. Which may not sound like a lot. Which sounds like the hinge of a better life. It is, and it is not. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Randall. We really appreciate your joining us today. Thank you both so much. It's been great. So good to see you. That's it for the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast. This podcast is produced by Ann Knigendorf with help from students at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I teach, and the University of Minnesota, where Sugi teaches. Our theme music is composed by Travis Workman. We love hearing feedback from our listeners on social media or anywhere, so we wanted to give a shout-out to, of all places, Yale News. They ran an article about our conversation with historian Marcy Shore on the Ukraine-Russia conflict. As a Princeton alum, this is a phrase I may have never said before, but thanks, Yale. You can subscribe to us by typing fiction slash non slash fiction into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. And please go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen, find previous episodes, and read excerpts from our interviews at the Literary Hub website, lithub.com, where the fiction nonfiction podcast page is listed under the Lit Hub radio tab. We'll post a link to the books we referenced this week on Facebook at FNF Pod, on Twitter at FNF Talk and on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. You can also find video of this interview at our own Fiction Nonfiction Podcast YouTube channel and IGTV channel on our web- and on our website at fnfpodcast.net, where if you're an educator and want to use our podcast in the classroom or you're just a cool person, our back episodes are grouped by topic areas. We'll provide links to all this stuff in the show notes and we'll be tweeting and posting about it during the week. Happy reading! And good luck to all the nominees out there.